Hi, this is Dr. Tina Webb, and you are listening to the Coping Season Podcast, the show that discusses mental and emotional wellness to help black men and black women begin to heal and cope with the effects of emotional distress. Although I am a licensed clinical social worker, please note that this podcast is not meant to be used as a substitute for a relationship with a licensed therapist. Get ready to laugh, think, and be entertained. It's time to cope. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Happy New Year. Welcome back. We made it to 2022. We got to get used to saying 2022. Um, I just got used to writing 2021 on my checks and on my paperwork. Now we got to get used to writing 2022. Where has the last two years gone? We have gone from 2020 and then Zoom, boom. 2022 is now here, but that's how life is. It just goes by in a blink of an eye. And I'm so happy to be here with you all. I've been looking forward to talking to you again. And we've got a lot to talk about today. So let's just get right into it. I'm not sure how many of you have heard this story yet, but there is a female rapper named Asian Doll. She also goes by Asian DeBrat. She's out of Chicago, and she was also the girlfriend of the late King Vaughn, who was a Chicago rapper, and he was murdered in November 2020 in Atlanta. But recently, what's been going on with Asian Doll is that she went on a podcast this past Monday And she ended up walking off of the show because she was being disrespected. Not only was she being disrespected, but the other women were being disrespected as well. She went on the podcast to support her friend. But during the process, Asian Doll ended up having a verbal kind of back and forth with one of the show hosts who was very disrespectful. People are praising Asian Doll for staying so calm and composed. And they are coming after that show host for the way that he tried to disrespect and scold those women. After I watched the video clip, I was like, "Okay, this is escalating very quickly. And it seems like it was because of the show host. But you can watch the video yourself and determine what you think might have been the issue. Um, The video is on YouTube. You can watch it different places. You can type in Google Asian doll. Right now she's trending because of it. So I'm sure the video will pop up. But the show host, he seemed to be like on a power trip and he was very condescending. He told one of the women to stop having side conversations during the podcast. And he said it though, like he was just so fed up and like as though he was talking to a child, you know, the lady was like apologizing, like, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll stop talking on the side. She was very polite. And he said, I've told you. And then she's like, okay, yes, you're right. I'm sorry. Apologize. And then he, he just kept going. He was like, you know, this is the fifth time I told you that, right? All of that, you know, as though you're um, expecting them to respond to you, just being very, I don't know, it was like rude. And then he told her like, stop for real, like stop. And she wasn't even talking anymore. He was just going off on his own. So then Asian doll, she kind of was looking like, what is going on here? And she replied and she just said like, dang, he mean as F. So then the show host, he kept going and he said, she's been doing this for the whole show. I'm not mean as F. I just have rules. Simple. And he was like very rude the way he said that. So then Asian doll, she commented again and she just said, "Mm, he's mean. And then he got aggressive with her. He said, "Okay, then you can get the F off the show, too. You can go. You're not going to come on my platform disrespecting me. 
He got all out of his seat. Other people were like, man, just chill. Like, stop. Like, trying to stop him. He just kept on going. Like, he just had a little explosion or something. You know, it happens sometimes. People get very upset and they don't realize their surroundings. They don't realize how they look and how this might, you know, flip around on him. So this is, that's what happened. Social media has been going in. You know, Asian doll stayed calm. She didn't leave right away. She was just like, you going off because I called you mean? Like, I don't care. I can say that if I want to. And he was just telling her, like, leave. Then he tried to act like, I don't even know who she is anyway. Like, come on now. People know who Asian Doll is. Some people, a lot of people know. She is a rapper. She raps very well. And she's also been linked to, like I said, King Von, who is also very popular. Yes, so everything just went left very quickly. And now that this clip has been circulating online, the show host has gone on social media and he's trying to flip the script. He's trying to say Asian doll was late, that she was disrespectful, that she did this, she did that. We can all see the clip and we see his reaction. Like I say, it's just a clip. We didn't see all the minutes before, but there are other clips available of what happened before this blow up, before Asian doll got to the podcast. The other women were there. They were talking, you know, just talking on the side and not to mention everyone's drinking on the podcast and so the men kept saying oh we got we got echo we got static hey okay ladies can you guys stop having side conversations you know yeah they did have to keep telling them but it didn't have to go left like this now keep in mind the podcast that she was on is a podcast that gives advice to men about dating relationships finance and fitness Now, just to give you a little bit more context, both of the podcast hosts, they are both men and they are fitness trainers and they're also self-proclaimed life coaches. Now, both of these men appear to be black men, but I'll tell you why this matters later on as we go along. They're both brown. However, one is from Barbados and the other is from the Sudan which is a country that is in Africa, but Sudanese people are either going to be of African descent or of Arab descent. And also the name Sudan, it comes from the Arabic expression called Biyad al-Sudan, which means land of the blacks. Now bear with me because this is all connected to the Asian doll story that we were just talking about. But also too, I just want to give you a brief history about Sudanese black people and the history of the Sudan. This is where the podcast host is from, the one who had this back and forth with Asian doll. Now, if we look at the history of Sudan black people to this day, there is horrific racism and abuse in Sudan when it comes down to black people. Many Sudanese people see themselves as Arab and not Africans. Arabs in the Sudan feel superior to African people, to black people. And they use the word slave still to this day. They use the word slave to describe black people. Now, the Sudan has always been run by, quote unquote, light skinned, Arabic speaking elite people. Meanwhile, black Africans in the south and in the west of the country, they've been discriminated against. Not only do people use the word slave in that country, they also print it in their newspapers. They also use racial slurs. You'll see it on a routine basis written in their newspapers. Politicians using derogatory and racial slurs as well. So they still also use the term Negro. They still use the word Negro to describe people who are not Arab and people who they deem to be poor and black. Now, in the Sudan, most of the people that are in positions of power or importance or in senior positions, they are from the Arab and the Nubian ethnic groups. You will rarely see a black person in the Sudan 
as being the head of anything in this area. You won't see them in any important government roles. You won't see them working in a role at a bank, even though 60% of the people that live in this area of Khartoum, they are black people. Now, if we look at the history of racism, it goes back to about 1821 when Khartoum was founded. Now, during this time, This was a place where slaves were bought and sold. It was a marketplace. By the second half of the century, about two thirds of the city's population were enslaved. So the Sudan was one of the most active slave raiding zones in Africa. Now, when we talk about slave raiding, that's when the military would raid countries so that they could capture people and bring them from the raid area to serve as slaves. So slaves were captured and they were transported from the South and to the North and to Egypt and to the Middle East and to the Mediterranean regions. And even today, Slave traders are still glorified in the Sudan. They have a street named after um, one of the most powerful slave traders at that time. They have a street named after him in the capital. There are other streets as well that are named after slave traders. Now, like I said, slave traders are still glorified. Even after slavery was abolished, slavery still continued even until the year 2005. Yes, 2005 is what I said, y'all. I'm talking about in the Sudan, people were still reporting slavery when Chris Brown came out with, let me talk to you, tell you how it is. I was thinking when I saw that body, gotta get shorty, tell her what the young boy gonna do. Damn the chicks with you, gotta be okay. Babe, pretty thick with the kick, that sick, that need to be hit. So tell me what y'all gonna do. I got friends and you got friends. They hop out and you hop in. I look fly and they jock in. The way you drop, drop makes me wanna pop. Is your man on the floor? If he ain't, let me know do you think you can run it run it yeah, indeed I can run it run it <laughs> yep y'all remember that 2005 when that song run it came out people were still reporting in the Sudan that they were raiding the south and taking African South Sudan people and forcing them into slavery Arabs in the Sudan think that they are superior to Africans in the Sudan. So all the way up into 2005, they were abducting women and children and forcing them to work for a master. Yep, and still using the language and everything, master, slave. So they were abducting them and making them work for free. Many of them never saw their families again. Keep in mind that in the 2000s, Arab government militias have repeatedly been accused of getting on horses and going and riding throughout black African villages, killing the men, raping the women. And now the horror continues. People still report that their villages are being burned and that black women are being raped. They are talking about peace and making changes in the country. But the structural and the institutional racism within the Sudanese state is very deeply embedded. Now, I say all this to give you a little background. Now, the host who got into it with Asian Doll on that podcast, he is said to be, as I mentioned earlier, he is said to be from the Sudan and he is Arab. After all this came out about his disrespect toward Asian doll and to the other black women on his show, Twitter started investigating and clips from other podcast episodes that these guys have hosted started to circulate on social media. In one of the clips, the men are talking about their dating preferences. And let me just tell you their names. So the man who is Arab on the podcast, his name is Fit. 
And then the other host on the show, his name is Fresh, and he's from Barbados, as I mentioned before. And there was also slavery in Barbados as well, which we'll talk about in another episode. But in the clip, these guys mentioned the dating app called Black, BLK, which is a dating app for black singles to connect. Now, these men, these hosts, they went on a little disgusting and ignorant rant, if you would call it. I don't know what it was, but they were disrespecting black women. So I guess they were responding to a message from a, a listener asking, had they ever used the black app or heard of the black app? Now, Fresh, the black man from Barbados, he starts off, he starts it off and he says, it's funny, bro. I've never used that one, but hey, man. And then they hit this little laughing sound effect button and said that said, ha ha. And then Fit, who is the Arab man, he says, I mean, hey, bro, if you want to date a whole bunch of Shaniquas, go for it, man. And then Fresh, he chimes in and he says, LaQuisha. And then Fit, who is the Arab man, he says, me and Fresh aren't really down with the brown like that. We ain't night Riders. And then Fresh, he says, nah, man, nah, I'm good. And then Fit goes on to hesitantly say, you know, sometimes if they're red bone, but in general, me and Fresh don't dabble in the dark, if you know what I'm saying. And then Fresh piggybacks off of what Fit was saying. And he's like, yep, yep. Now they've received a lot of backlash for this. And their response to the backlash is they said there's nothing wrong with having preferences. So on today's segment of Ask Dr. Tina, I want to read a quote from Asian Daw regarding her experience on the podcast. She stated, and I quote, I was so calm yesterday because I already knew what he was trying to do. Mr. Freddy Cougar was finna get beat down Elm Street off camera. I'm thankful for the growth and self-control, and I'm happy I defended another black woman because he was treating her so bad. Ugh. And now in regards to the video of the men discussing their dating preferences, she stated, shaking my head, they really hate black women. And that's what Asian Doll had to say. Now, I know that we are all glad that Asian Doll was able to keep her cool and just walk away. Also, just for context, there were four black women and two non-black women who were on the podcast as well. The black women continued to be disrespected even after they stayed calm, even after they apologized, even after they were just trying to keep it cool. The disrespect continued. I wish all of the women could have just gotten up. The black women, the non-black women, I wish they all could have just gotten up and walked out. But many of us have been in situations like this and we freeze. We don't know how to react. We overthink it. We try to give people a chance. And then we think about what we should have done. After the fact, after the damage is done. Now, Asian Doll did sit there a little while after being disrespected, but eventually she got up and she left gracefully. I love that because many of us have been in similar situations where somebody is trying to disrespect you. They're trying to bring you out of character in some way. And then you do get out of character. And now they flip the script and they say, oh, see, look at her. I told you she was a problem. Look at how she acted. But Asian doll, she didn't give him what he was looking for. And now social media is praising her and they are all over him. Now, I brought up the Sudan when I was talking about this because that is where he is supposedly from, that host. Sometimes the way that we behave has to do with what's been ingrained in us. It has to do with where we're from, our culture, our, our values, our ignorance, maybe messages and opinions that we receive from our family members, from our social circle. Now, in the second clip from these guys, we heard from his own mouth how he feels about black women. We also heard him use terms such as red bone, dabble in the dark, night rider. These are all colorist statements. Redbone is a term 
rooted in the institution of slavery. Red bone, yellow bone, all of it is rooted in slavery and it's still used today. Rappers still rapping about red bones. What's his name? Um, Childish Gambino. He came out with that song, Red Bone. Daylight, I wake up feeling like you won't play right. That song is called Redbone. Also, too, what's her name? Danny Lee. She's a singer. She came out saying that he wants a yellow bone, calling herself a yellow bone. She faced backlash because of that. Also, Lil Wayne, he's always rapped about red bones, all the different rappers. They put it in their song. In the black community, we use the term red bone to describe a black person who has light skin, who has fair skin. Now, if we look at the history of the word red bone, it actually comes from Louisiana. It's a Creole term where they used to say red Ebo. So during the time of slavery, there were the Ebo people who came from what is now eastern Nigeria. Now, from this region, there were a lot of fair skinned black people. So during the 18th century, during slavery in the West Indies, they started using the term red bone, but it comes from the Creole term red Ebo, which refers to the Ebo people who would have been from what we now call Eastern Nigeria. Now, keep in mind, back then, being called red bone was not something that people wanted to be called. It wasn't a polite term. It was sometimes used as an epithet, as a disparaging word, as an abusive word. Because we have to look at the fact that slave owners and plantation owners back then, they would make observations about Africans. They would generalize. They would put them in categories. Different African people were targeted for their knowledge, for their skills, their education. And there was a lot of stereotyping. They were just dehumanizing black people based off of a lot of times where they were from, what ethnic group they were part of. So a lot of the fair skinned Africans, which were from Igbo, Slave owners would see them and they would say that they must be sick. They're sickly. They must be weak because look at how light their skin is. And so that means that the price of them would drop. So a lot of people didn't want to purchase them. And a lot of poor plantation owners, they would purchase them. And that's why a lot of the Igbo people ended up in poor areas like Virginia. But now, just like everything in this world, things change. And the term red bone is more embraced. People see it, black people oftentimes, and other ethnicities as well. They see it as a sign of being better, as being sexy, as being beautiful, as being something more than being black. Not all people, some people. Now, for the most part in the black community, we've all heard the terms light skin, dark skin, red bone. And this is where it's about to get deep, y'all. Some of us may not want to hear this. Some of you know this to be true. But there is a history in the black community of us, black people, dehumanizing our own dark skin. But we will praise light skin. Maybe you've heard things when you were a kid like, you know, get out of that sun. You don't want to get too dark, that there's a such thing as being too dark. Maybe you've heard light skin people being described as, like we mentioned, red, yellow, high yellow, um, light, bright, dark skin people often being described as chocolate, purple, dark, black, midnight, charcoal. The list goes on and on. Now, maybe you yourself, maybe you've ran and hid from the sun. Maybe you had the sun hit you. You hid in the shade because you didn't want to get a shade darker. Maybe you've permed or straightened your hair because of other black people may have called you nappy headed, beat a bead, as though black hair is not to be desired. But the most hurtful part about all of this 
is that you may have heard these ideas, these opinions, these harmful expressions that are, by the way, rooted in white supremacy. You may have heard these comments being made by your own mother, your own fathers, your siblings, our friends, celebrities, our own black community. Colorism. This is what colorism is. Discrimination based on skin color. It is the reason why Black people discriminate among ourselves. People with darker skin are disadvantaged, while those with lighter skin are privileged. Research has shown that colorism affects how much money a person makes. Um, It leads to smaller incomes, lower marriage rates, longer prison terms, fewer job prospects for dark skinned people. Colorism has existed for centuries and it still persists. So on today's episode, I'd like to take a deeper dive into colorism in the black community. As I mentioned before, colorism is a form of discrimination. This is where people treat people with lighter skin better than those with darker skin. It happens not only in black culture, but it also happens in Asian culture, Hispanic culture, Indian culture, and more. But in other cultures, colorism is more related to like classism. So it's more related to the idea of rich versus poor, elite versus peasants. So in other cultures, lighter skin means high class. Darker skin means low class. An example of that would be maybe in Asian communities, some Asian communities, basically people who have the luxury of staying inside and they didn't have to do a lot of physical labor outdoors. They are the people who had lighter skin. Thus, lighter skin became the symbol of higher class Um, in Europe. For example, people who had pale skin where you could see their blue veins or their blue, uh, blue blood. They were viewed as being noble, untainted, having untainted blood. But now that's changed because white people want to be tan now. And now tan skin is now associated with the luxury of being able to go on vacations or the luxury of spending time and going to tanning salons like they must have some money or something. You know, it's a luxury thing. But for black people in the United States, colorism has to do with white supremacy. It has to do with slavery Colorism evolved during slavery and slavers would give preferential treatment to enslaved people who had lighter skin complexions. They would work indoors. They had a chance to do domestic work that wasn't as brutal or backbreaking. But people who had darker skin that were enslaved, they had to work outside in the fields. Now, when we talk about colorism and slavery, we have to also talk about sexual assault and the hypersexualization of black women. Another reason why slave owners were more partial towards light skin enslaved people was because they were related Enslavers, slave owners. They frequently raped enslaved black women, which as a result of those sexual assaults, black women ended up having given birth to light skinned children. And even though the slave owners didn't accept their children, their mixed children as family members, or they didn't let it be known openly that they were the daddy. Instead, what they would do is they allowed their mixed race children to have privileges that dark skinned enslaved people weren't able to have. They weren't able to enjoy or have access to some of these privileges. And as a result, being light skinned, started being seen as a resource. It started being seen as an asset among enslaved black people. And this is how white supremacy created colorism in the United States. So even after slavery ended, black people with light skin had employment opportunities that darker skinned people 
could not have. Lighter skinned black people made more money because of these opportunities that they were afforded. And that's why a lot of black upper class families were light skinned. And then we start to see that link between light skin and privilege. It started to emerge in the black community. That's when the brown paper bag test came about. Now black people were discriminating against each other. They would grab a brown paper bag place it against another black person's skin to see if they were lighter or darker than the paper bag. If your skin was lighter than the brown paper bag, then you were more likely to be accepted and included in their social circles. You can hang out. You can come around. You can come to these parties. You can have access to some of the things that we enjoy. If your skin was darker than the brown paper bag, then you weren't included in these social circles. Black people were discriminating against other black people. And the brown paper bag test not only was a way to gain or deny access to social events, but also to schools, to clubs, to jobs. Even when black people were looking for jobs in the 1940s, they would put ads in the paper saying that they were looking for jobs. They would list their qualifications. And the first thing that they would list, they didn't list, oh, I'm a good driver. I'm a good uh, chef or cleaner or whatever it is that they were applying for. The first thing that they would put is that they're light colored. Because at that time, that was the major and the only thing that their white employers needed to know. They saw black skin as being unpleasant. So putting that your light skin, that cuts out all the other stuff. And OK, boom, let's get to the point. And we can't forget about the act of passing. As a matter of fact, there's a movie on Netflix that I just watched a few months ago, and it's called Passing, and it was pretty good. Now, passing is when light-skinned black people would identify themselves as white so that they can get benefits that were withheld from black people. And there were black men and black women who would pass. There were black women who were so light-skinned and had such straight hair that they appeared to be white. And they would go on and they would say that they are white. They would marry, marry white men and they would move up the social economic status. So the same thing with black men. They were able, some of them looked white and they were able to go on and live life as a white man. Also, I want you to know that black people aren't the only people who attempt to pass or who attempted to pass and also who attempt to pass today. There are light skinned Hispanic people who identify as white. There are light skinned Asian people who identify as white and so on and so on. And also passing goes deeper than that. And we can talk about it in another episode more in depth. But passing is also called transracial or the new term, which we hear a lot of people talking about today is black fishing, which is the newest term. And that's when people change their appearance, like maybe they're tanning their skin, getting lip enhancements, plastic surgery, changing their body, changing their hair, choosing what style of clothes to wear, certain outfits, certain types of uh, swag changing up how they speak to help them to identify or to outwardly appear as though they are a black person. And that's all that black fishing is. It's when a person who is not black, but they are assuming the identities of blackness. Asian people might attempt to pass as black, various social media influencers. That's where you might see it a lot today. Also, there are white people who attempt to pass as black. Remember those two white women, Rachel Dolezal and Jessica Krug? They were white women, but they changed up their hair. They darkened their skin. They passed as black women. It gets deep, y'all, but we'll save that for another episode. Now, even today, 
Color determines how you move up and how you move around in American society. Colorism influences opportunities that are available to us as black people. It influences how black people move up. It influences how we move around the socioeconomic ladder. We are still fighting for access to opportunities. That's why black people compare themselves to other black people. Sometimes we compare ourselves to what someone else has, to what promotion they ended up getting. We compare what they have to what we have because opportunities are still limited to black people. Why is it 2022 and we are still saying the first black this? Oh, he is the first black that the first black this. Come on now. After all these years, we are still fighting for access to opportunities. So that's why there is sometimes friction in the black community, because there are perceived privileges and advantages that has led to this friction. We may get hired to work at a new job and our supervisor is black or maybe our coworker is black. And sometimes it can feel like they're competing with us or against us as a result of colorism. We are pitted against each other. It's not a new phenomenon. Look, we can take it all the way back to HBCUs, historic black colleges and universities. Colorism impacted black students who were attending historically black colleges and universities in the Jim Crow era. At Howard University, during the early 1900s, black fraternities, sororities, and the university allowed racial segregation between light-skinned and dark-skinned black students. And you would see this in terms of fraternity and sorority life. So not only did dark-skinned black students face racial prejudice from white people, but also from light-skinned black students who they should have been united with. They should have been all a team, light-skinned, dark-skinned. We are all black and we are here in, at a university and we should be together. But instead, there was segregation. There was discrimination within our own community. During that time, that brown paper bag was still in effect. They would use that brown paper bag test. If a person was pledging for a sorority or fraternity or they wanted to join, if they failed that brown paper bag test, then they could not join that fraternity or sorority. Later, they started having students, the university would have students send in a picture of themselves along with their application to the school. And that became part of the admissions process so that they can look at the photo and see, okay, that person is light skinned enough. This person is too dark and they would reject people based on their skin color. It gets deep and it is so sad y'all because colorism has contributed to so much conflict in the black community. Light skin versus dark skin. That is still a topic of discussion in 2022. It is still a, a source of contention. There are some black men and black women who prefer light skin and that's why some black men and black women still use skin bleaching products to lighten their skin, despite the fact that they could get cancer, despite the fact that they could get mercury poisoning and other risks. Lightning creams are very popular and they're still used today all over the world. I saw a couple years ago, Black China came out with a lightning cream. The, you remember the lady Black China who had a baby with Rob Kardashian? She had a lightning cream and people started coming for her on Twitter. Like, wait a minute, what's up with this? But like I say, lightning creams are still popular. They're used all over the world. So much so that India, they have a lightning cream. It's called Fair and Lovely. And over 38 million people use their cream. 
I remember when I was a kid, I would go to Walmart and I would buy skin whitening cream, but I didn't never, I never put it on my face. I would put it on my knees because for some reason my knees were dark. So I would put that cream on my knees to lighten my knees up, but it never dawned on me or occurred to me at that time, at that age, that people, black people were using it on their face to lighten their face. I didn't know that part until I got older. You know, skin lightening creams have been around for centuries and there is a long history, a long legacy of black women, women of color who have been pressured to lighten their skin because we live in a colorist society. They also do not just um, skin lightening creams. People are getting procedures to lighten their skin. And then there's some people, they don't use whitening cream, but there's some black women, some black men, they use a lighter foundation, lighter makeup than their true color to make their skin look lighter. They use filters on Instagram and Snapchat to make their skin look lighter or to kind of beautify or enhance them in some way. And the beautifying and the enhancement normally looks like a smaller nose. Basically, the filters give a person more of European features. Now, remember when we were talking about the podcast and those two guys fit and fresh, fresh is the black man that's from Barbados. He would be considered dark skin. And based off of his statements, he would also be considered a colorist. He is contributing to colorism by expressing his dating preferences in such a way that is derogatory towards black women. Now, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having preferences, but there is a way to express your preferences without being hateful toward black women. You can leave the hateful commentary about black women out of the conversation about your preferences. Colorism plays a role in dating for sure, because light skin is associated with beauty, is associated with status. Um, Studies have shown that light skinned black women are more likely to be married than darker skinned black women. Colorism affects so many things. It also contributes to low self-esteem and self-hatred. And that's why A dark skinned black man can sit up on a podcast and laugh and joke about the black woman and say that he's not attracted to a black woman and doesn't want to date a black woman. That is why he will sit there and do that on a national platform because of low self-esteem and self-hatred. Being with a black woman may remind him of the hatred that he has for himself, for his own skin color. You know, there's nursery rhymes, old little sayings that people would say in school. If you're black, stay back. If you're brown, stick around. If you're yellow, you're mellow. If you're white, you're all right. So many of you have heard that type of messaging growing up, even as little kids in school. And it's so hurtful and so confusing because black people come in so many beautiful skin tones, so many gorgeous hues of brown. Like I always say, we are a beautiful powerful people and colorism should have no place in the black community. Colorism goes so deep that there are even studies that show that dark skinned black Americans have 121% higher odds of ever being arrested compared to light skinned black people. There are studies that also show that black Americans who've been convicted of killing maybe a white person, they were sentenced to the death penalty 33% more often If their skin was darker, if they had dark skin, then they were sentenced to death 30% more often than someone who may have been light skinned. The color of their skin had more to do with their sentencing than their age did, their social economic status, maybe even if they had prior convictions, maybe the severity of their, their crime. The fact that they had dark skin is what had more of an impact in the sentencing. 
it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It's like, is this really what's happening in the world still based off of skin color? It's what's happening. There are studies that also show that light skinned black women, they are sentenced to approximately 12% less time than dark skinned women. Researchers have also found that employers, when it comes down to hiring people, there is a preference for lighter skinned black men than dark skinned black men, regardless of their education. A light skinned black man could have a bachelor's degree and just some average work experience. And a dark skinned black man could have a master's degree. And maybe he's had manager positions and just worked in high level positions. Do you know that the study has shown that the light skinned black man would be preferred? That would be the person who they would hire over the dark skinned black man with a master's degree and all this work experience. And not only does colorism affect us when it comes down to the legal system, when it comes down to employment, when it comes down to dating and relationships. Also, too, speaking of dating and relationships, there are studies that show that lighter skinned black women tend to marry up. They marry men from a higher social economic status than darker skinned black women do. And so not only does colorism affect all of these things, but also it affects our health. Colorism is associated with worse physical health outcomes in black Americans. So we have higher instances of cardiovascular disease, pain related disorders. Like I mentioned in another episode, there is bias oftentimes in the medical field. Sometimes black people are looked at as though We have a higher pain tolerance, so we won't be prescribed certain medications. We won't be taken serious oftentimes when we go to the doctor. So colorism affects all of that. It has an impact on our overall morbidity, an impact on our mortality. Studies have shown that there is a link between colorism and our mental health, our emotional well-being, especially among darker skinned black girls. This is what the studies have shown. Now, what I'm about to say, I've already mentioned in a previous episode when I talked about Kamala Harris being the most disrespected and unprotected woman in America. When we think about black women, colorism, racism and how being disrespected and unprotected in America contributes to our anxiety, to our mental health, we have to fully also understand how black women are viewed in America. In that episode, I break down how black women have historically been viewed in America. Take a listen if you haven't heard it yet. We have to acknowledge and understand the effects of the murders of Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor, the brutality of Jakesia Clemens, videos we see of countless black women being brutalized by white police. We are constantly victimized and disrespected by the system that is supposed to protect us, by black men that are supposed to stand with us and protect us as well. I just want black men and black women to know that it's okay to not be okay. We just need the chance to be who we are, how we are, without all of the extras that come with living in a country that is based off of race, that is socialized based off of race, based off of white supremacy. But until then, colorism has no place in the black community. We have to support each other. We have to come together and have compassion for each other and ourselves. Respect each other and ourselves. We have to tend to our emotions. Let me tell you how. You know what time it is. It's time to cope. 
It's time to pull out our coping toolboxes. I'm going to give us some tools to toss in there today to help us cope with colorism. Remember, we are going to be building this coping toolbox every time that we're together so that we can keep everything that we need that can calm us during times of distress and help us to express how we feel in healthy ways. The first thing that I want to say is that black is beautiful. We are beautiful because of our brown skin. No matter the hue of brown, we are beautiful because of our skin, not in spite of it. Brown skin girl, your skin just like pearls, the best thing in the world. I'll never trade you for anybody else singing. Brown skin girl. Now, if you or someone you know is bleaching their skin, please learn the risk and stop. Having dark skin is not something that needs to be corrected. It's not something that needs to be fixed. It is your most beautiful feature, despite the negative comments or experiences that you may have had in your childhood or from family or from friends. This life that we have to live is not gonna always be easy. We are gonna face challenges and colorism is just one of those challenges. But just know that you are enough just as you are. You are beautiful. Now, when it comes down to us combating this colorism, the first thing that all of us can do is check ourselves, check ourselves, educate other people. Now, some of those people that you might have to educate might be your own family members. In the black community, oftentimes it is common to hear casual comments, jokes about skin color, about hair, about our other black features. And sometimes it can turn into abusive language. It can be very hurtful. And it's just a pattern of behavior that's being passed down generation after generation. So educating other people about what you've learned about colorism so that they can be more aware of themselves of what they might be doing to contribute to colorism and how they can change. I also want you to know that for some people, colorism might contribute to them hating their black features, hating their own skin color. Colorism has perpetrated a self-hatred within people and also for other people who look like them. Like I mentioned earlier, a black man or a black woman who might say in a derogative way that they don't date other black people might be a reflection of self-hatred. It could possibly mean that that black man or that black woman's skin tone reminds them of what they hate about themselves. So keep that in mind and don't take it personal. Know where it's coming from and keep moving forward and towards a potential partner who's going to love themselves and love you and all your blackness. I also want you to know that there are many people who are colorists and there are also many people who are not. With that being said, I just want you to keep in mind that there are many people in this world, romantic partners, friends, co-workers, family members who love and appreciate and respect every shade of human beings in this world. So focus your attention on those people, spend time with those people and do the things in your life that bring you joy and make you happy. Chances are you're going to have more positive experiences with people as opposed to negative experiences. So I want you to stay positive and stay hopeful. Colorism exists, but it's not the end all be all. We can still reach our full potential. We can still love on each other, but we have to acknowledge that this is something that does exist. And we also have to acknowledge the fact that there are people in our family, parents and other family members who were the first people to make 
us or make someone feel insecure about their skin color, about their hair color, about their facial features. So if you love on your children, give them love, give them affection, give them compliments, build up your family so that that can help shield them from some of the negative influences on social media, from the negative influences that they may come in contact in the world. We have to build each other up. And when you see family members or friends engaging in colorism, Don't be afraid to stand up to them. Don't be afraid to correct them, to educate them. They might say you're tripping. They might talk about you behind your back, but you have to say something, especially if you witness acts of colorism against kids in the family. It might be uncomfortable, but not as uncomfortable as your little niece might feel or your little nephew or your own child might feel as a result of some grown adult in the family who looks just like them, but has made them feel uncomfortable about their own skin. If we ignore mistreatment, we are complicit. Maybe this can also become an opportunity to have difficult conversations about the impact and the implications of colorism. And we have to constantly check in with ourselves, pay attention to your own attitude, your own judgments, your own comments, your own reactions, pull yourself up, just like we're trying to pull other people up. We have to make sure that every little child in the room hears something positive about how they look and who they are. We want to make sure that we're spreading the love and we're paying attention and we're letting all the babies get attention, not just the babies that are light skinned with the straight hair or the loose curly hair and the green eyes. All the babies need to hear something positive about their features and who they are and how they are. Try not to laugh also too or engage in any jokes about colorism. You know, one thing that I love about black people, we are so funny. We are funny, colorful people. We can find humor in any situation. But sometimes, you know, you got to pick and choose your battles, too. You don't want to be so standoffish all the time to where you can't have fun. But sometimes when things have gone too far and you feel like you might need to intervene, then you have to say something. People will oftentimes say negative, nasty things and they try to cover it up and say, oh, I was just joking. They hide behind jokes because they know that if they were to come out and straight up say something, then it's not going to be acceptable. So they got to put it in a joke as a way for them to talk about somebody's skin color or their facial features or their hair. Or just sometimes we will flat out call somebody ugly and try to act like, oh, I'm just being funny. Um, I was just kidding. But there is truth in those jokes and those jokes can be harmful and it can also have a lasting impact on a person. And when you do see it happening, if it makes you uncomfortable, something that somebody said to someone else, then you can just chime in and say, well, I think they are beautiful. I think that their nose is attractive. I think that their hair is just as pretty as anyone else's or their skin is just as beautiful as anyone else's. You know, we want to watch out for our own language, too. There are things that we say that other people say that is colorist language. Oh, you're pretty for a dark skinned girl. Remember what I said, we are beautiful because of our skin color, not in spite of it. That comment pretty for a dark skinned girl is rooted in racism. It is a colorist statement. Also, when people say I'm not black, I'm brown colorist statement. When we tell people, oh, you acting light skinned now. Or when you hear people say, you know, I prefer a light skinned man. I prefer a dark skinned woman. Even though you're expressing a preference, it's still a colorist statement. And I've been guilty of that myself. So we want to just pay attention to ourselves. Pay attention to the things that you say and the things that you do. Are you always running and hiding from the sun because you don't want to get darker? 
Do you use makeup or skin products to try to make your skin look lighter? Do you put filters on all your photos to try to lighten your skin or to lighten somebody else's skin that's in the picture with you? Do you make jokes at the expense of other people's skin color? Do you form cliques with people who have similar skin tones than you? Are you liking memes on social media and jokes about light skin versus dark skin? Are you engaging in conversations about light skin versus dark skin people? Are you using hashtag dark skin, hashtag light skin? Pay attention to your own behavior and try to make some changes. When people tell you about colorism that they've experienced or if you witness something, just listen to them. Be supportive. When people are experiencing discrimination based on their skin tone, especially by people that look just like them, it is a personal issue. It has an impact on a person's confidence, on who they see themselves as, their sense of self. So you want to practice compassionate listening, active listening. When somebody tells you, man, my uncle said this to me or said that to me, and you start busting out laughing, you want to look at, take a look at yourself and just take it seriously. Try to be respectful of them, make space so that they can talk about what they're going through. Like I said, it is a personal experience. You don't know how um, comments about someone's skin tone has affected them over the years. You might see them and you're like, man, they are beautiful. He is so fine. Look at that beautiful brown skin. But he might not see himself that way. She may not see herself that way because of these negative and harmful messages that they have received throughout their life from other people about their skin. So we want to make room for them to talk and listen instead of responding. You don't always have to say something in response. Sometimes we just got to listen and understand other people's experiences. And also, if you witness behaviors and you decide, okay, I'm going to step in, I'm going to say something right now. Just remember, you don't have to fight the person. You don't have to be confrontational. You don't have to get loud. Just keep an even, steady tone of voice. And you start off with I statements. I feel offended when I hear other black people putting down other black people based off of their skin tone. I feel frustrated. I feel sad. I feel hurt. When I see this happening, could you please not do that? Or, you know, that's how you can have that conversation, because sometimes people don't even know what they've done wrong. They don't know that they did anything wrong. They're just repeating things that they've always said or things that their family members have taught them. So we don't got to get all in their face and get all loud and call them ignorant and stupid and all that stuff. This is just an opportunity, like I mentioned earlier, to educate, to just open up and have a conversation, but pick and choose your battles. If you feel like you have to say something or you're going to say something, just do it in a way that is respectful of that other person because they genuinely might not know what they did wrong. So let them know what they did wrong. You can say, hey, you know, as your friend, I feel like I have to let you know that comment that you made wasn't okay. You know, I wonder if you've ever really thought about colorism and how your words might have an impact on this person. You can say something like, you know, it sounds like we need some uh, to unpack some things here. It sounds like you're making assumptions about a person's skin color that maybe we need to talk about a little bit more. You can open it up that way. You can say, hey, I need you to know how your comment just made me feel. Or you can also ask them to explain certain things to you because maybe you don't understand where they're coming from. Maybe somebody's cracked this joke about somebody's skin color and they just laughing, laughing, laughing. You can say, you know, I don't find that funny. I don't think that that was funny, but tell me why that's funny to you. Let me help me to understand. 
You can also repeat back what they said to try to clarify. It sounded like you just said X, Y, Z. Is that what you really meant? You know, what what was your intention when you said that? Another thing that you can say to a person is, you know, hey, how come you felt the need to mention that they were light skin or dark skin? Why did the skin tone have to come into this conversation? I don't understand how it was relevant, but maybe you can tell me because I'm really lost now. I don't really understand, but can you explain it to me? So that's something else you can do when you find yourself in situations where it's time to have a hard conversation about colorism. And not only do we have to ask hard questions of other people when it comes down to colorism, we have to ask ourselves questions about colorism, too, so that we can learn to recognize it. We have to know our own biases, our own issues with colorism. So ask yourself that question. What are my own biases? What are my own issues when it comes down to colorism? How do I feel about my own skin color? Do I feel anything? Have I ever even thought about it? You know, who's being uplifted? Who's being torn down in this conversation about color? Who's being torn down in the media? Who's being uplifted? We have to be conscious. How might that comment be perceived by someone with lighter skin or someone with darker skin? What kind of impact could that comment have on this person in terms of how they see themselves, about how they see their place in this world? So these are just a few questions to help us look inward and also to look outward and see how things that we might say has an effect on other people or contributes to colorism. And lastly, in the words of a Howard University student who wrote an editorial in 1929, I leave you with this. The lightest Negro in the United States, if known as a Negro, will be Jim Crowed as quickly as one possessing no Caucasian ancestry. There is nothing in a white skin to gloat over and nothing in a black skin to be depressed about. It is character, intelligence, and virtue that counts. And on that note, go ahead and put those coping toolboxes away, y'all. It's time for one of my favorite parts of the show, movie therapy, music therapy. I would like to dedicate today's episode to the song called Brown Skin by India Irie. And the song says, Where are your people from? Maybe Mississippi or an island. Apparently your skin has been kissed by the sun. You make me want a Hershey's kiss, your licorice. Every time I see your lips, it makes me think of honey-coated chocolate. Your kisses are worth more than gold to me. I'll be your almond joy. You'll be my sugar daddy. Brown skin. You know I love your brown skin. I can't tell where yours begins. I can't tell where mine ends. Brown skin. Up against my brown skin. Need some every now and then, oh yeah. Brown skin, you know I love your brown skin. I believe that, I receive that, and I mean that. It's coping season, y'all. Thank you for joining me this week. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. You are not only listeners, you are my co-hosts, and we are a community. And I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your stories, experiences, and thoughts related to life issues, topics you'd like to hear discussed, or questions you'd like answered. 
please visit me on the web at drtinaweb.com and click on Ask Dr. Tina to submit your questions, thoughts, and more. Tune in every Wednesday to hear my response. You can also check out the show notes as well as other contact information on the website. In the meantime and in between time, for additional updates, conversations, and more ways to interact, please connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Dr. Tina Webb. That's D-R-T-I-N-A-W-E-B-B. Feel free to share your thoughts from the show on social media using the hashtag Coping Season Podcast. Lastly, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you are listening to help others find the show and learn to cope just like you. I appreciate and read every single review. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for spreading the word to all of your friends, family, and coworkers. I so appreciate it. Thank you, and I'll see you next week.